the thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have an enjoy life, life in abundance until it overflows. Discover how to live the abundant life in Christ through the ministry of Pastor Oseyao Afwakwa. Pastor Afwakwa is the founder and general overseer of Embassy of Life Chapel, a thriving ministry headquartered in Kumasi with a network of churches in Kumasi and Accra, Ghana. God has commissioned him to train believers through the teaching of the good news of the kingdom to know God better, live life better, and impact the world better. Get set for an empowerment that will enable you to live a life of all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. God bless you as you listen. Okay, so we've been studying from the book of Titus. Somebody say Titus. And so like we always do, we would go back there and read Titus chapter 2. We'll read chapter 2 before we come to chapter 1 and continue with our introduction. Titus chapter 2, the Passion Translation. One goal. Your duty is to teach them to embrace a life that is consistent with sound doctrine. Lead the male elders into disciplined lives full of dignity and self-control. Urge them to have a solid faith, generous love, and patient endurance. Likewise with the female elders, lead them into lives free from gossip and drunkenness and to be teachers of beautiful things. This will enable them to teach the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. Verse 5. And to be self-controlled and pure, being devoted to their husbands. By doing these things, the word of the Lord will not be discredited. Verse 6. Likewise, guide the younger men into living, disciplined lives for Christ. 7. Above all, set yourself apart as a model of a life nobly lived. With dignity, demonstrate integrity in all that you teach. Bring a clear and wholesome message that cannot be condemned. And then your critics will be embarrassed with nothing bad to say about us. Servants are to be supportive of their masters and do what is pleasing in every way. They are not to be argumentative, nor steal, but prove themselves to be completely loyal and trustworthy. By doing this, they will advertise through all that they do the beautiful teachings of God our Savior. God's marvelous grace has manifested in person, bringing salvation for everyone. This same grace teaches us how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness in indulgent lifestyles and it equips us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly in this present age. For we continue to wait for the fulfillment of our hope in the dawning splendor of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus, the Anointed One. He sacrificed himself for us that he might purchase us our freedom from every lawless deed for himself, a people who have his very own, passionate to do what is beautiful in his eyes. So preach this truth and exhort others to follow them, be willing to expose sin in order to bring correction 
with full authority without being intimidated. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be intimidated. Okay, so we're looking at Titus and we started from here. It's a three-chapter book. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. And in each chapter, I think the longest one is about 16 or so. And each of them has a message following one after the other. God put this message together. I said it's a simple, short book, but a very powerful message. Somebody say a very powerful message. And we have attempted to open up the book and begin to read. The first thing we are confronted with is the title. The person whom the book is addressed to. And his name is Titus. And so the Bible comes to brings us this revelation about Titus. In Titus chapter 1 verse 1 to 4, we'll read the New King James Version. He said, Paul, a born servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. According to the faith of God's what? And the acknowledgement of the truth which are caused with? Okay, verse 2. In the hope of eternal life which God? Verse 3. But has in due time manifested his word through what? Which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior to a true son in our common faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. I'm trying to see if I can skip Paul, the apostle, because I spoke to you when we did a teaching on Ephesus. I introduced who Paul is to you, how Paul came to faith in Christ, and how Paul's life was turned around, and what the title apostle represents. Here, he introduces himself first as Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and a servant of Christ also. By the commandment of God, our Savior, and he says the letter is addressed to Paul, a born servant of Christ, comes before Paul, the apostle. Somebody say, you are first a servant before anything else. It's always important that we always don't forget this, our designation as far as God is concerned. We have two levels of relationships with God as New Testament Christians. One, we are children of God, and two, we are servants of God. Amen? And in all of both cases, we are required to honor God and to obey him. All right, so the letter was written to Titus, and Titus is described here. Everything we are going to discover from the letter should be seen in the light of the person to whom the letter was written to. Now, the letter was specifically addressed to Titus, but it was not meant only for Titus. If you go down and you read, I think, chapter 3 and the last verse, he talks about the fact that to you all. So, he received the letter in a service like this, and he began to read it, and he read it to the entire church. Praise the Lord. So Titus was supposed to be a recipient and then pass on the information. The instructions he was given were instructions he was supposed to put to work in his work as a pastor, in his work as someone who was overseeing the church. And we are saying that the life of Titus and the description that he was given has a lot of instruction for all of us. Because as children of God, God expects us to be faithful. Somebody say faithful. God expects us to be true sons and daughters. He does not expect Titus or Timothy to be a true son and then expects us to be fake or false sons. 
what God expects of Titus, what God expects of Timothy, the same is expected of us. And that's why we are spending some time to be able to understand from the same scriptures. Paul described Titus as a true son. He described Timothy as a true son. Why did he give them such a special designation? Why were they so dear to him? Why is it that the work Paul carried out as an apostle could not have been done without the meaningful contribution assistance of these men? Why were they so valuable to him that he spent a great amount of time mentioning their names again and again and specifically commending them to the church? What was about them that made them so unique? Those are the things we are trying to unveil or understand in this series of teachings we are captioning remain a true son and raise true sons somebody say remain a true son and raise true sons uh, you see you have to be a son and raise sons that's what we are called to be disciples and we are called to make disciples do you understand what i'm saying uh, so first of all you are supposed to become a disciple and you can only make disciples after your kind According to the first law in Genesis, every tree brings forth after its own kind. So if you are a bad fruit, you will bear fruit after your kind. If you are a good tree, you bear fruit after your kind. And so if you are a faithful disciple, you produce faithful disciples. And I pray that you will be a faithful disciple. And you will not just be a faithful disciple, but you also multiply yourself and produce true disciples. Say an amen. amen. Okay, so last week we began exploring some biblical characteristics of a true son in ministry. And we are zeroing in on Titus and then Timothy. And we will also come and talk about Christ himself. How many of you realize that when Christ came here, he walked with the father as a true son? Remember Jesus? The Bible said, this is my beloved son. This is my true son in whom I am well pleased. What was about Christ? How did Christ live his life in such a way that he could be described as true sons? We will continue with Titus and Timothy. That is the first series on remain as a son and raise true sons. Come with me to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 to 24. Let's go. Philippians 2, 19 to 24. Let's go. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. Or say, Timothy to you that I also may be encouraged when I know your... So last week we said that one of the major traits of a true son is that he's sendable. Somebody say sendable. sendable. When you have a true son, you can send him. Jesus was a true son to the Father, so he sent him. For God so loved the world that he gave. He sent his only begotten son. And he came and died. And he spoke in the book of John and said, As the Father has sent me, even so sent are you. So Jesus came here in the consciousness that he was sent. He said, I have not come to do my own will, but the will of the Father that sent him. Ask your neighbor and say, Do you know you are sent? And by in any way, are you carrying out the will of him that sent you? Ask the person. Yeah, that's exactly what our missionary friends just exalted us about. Jesus came and he was conscious of the fact that one, he was sent. And two, he was conscious of the fact that he needed to finish the assignment within a certain time. He knew he was not here forever. He said, I must do the will of him that sent me while it is what? Day. For the night cometh where no man worketh. He knew that he had a certain time frame with new way to execute his task. Most of the time, we live our lives as if we are here forever. 
And most of the time, we live our lives as if the most important things, the things that matter to the master most, can always be kept on the shelf. Most of the time, we have time for everything. Everything seems to be needing our attention. Everything seems to be needing our effort, our input, our action on it now, except the principal business the master gave us. And that is a principle. You see, one of the things we don't have control over is tomorrow. Somebody say tomorrow. Yeah, we are all trusting that by the mercy of God, by the grace of God, we'll be here tomorrow. But it's not guaranteed to any of you. And so the days you have control over are today, this moment. And that's why the moment must count for us. We must maximize our moment. We must not count our lives in years and days. And even in months, we must count our lives in minutes and seconds. Am I communicating here? There are times where we meet people in just a day or two. Sometimes we meet them under 24 hours. We can't hear them anything from them again. We can't see them again. Whatever plans they had, they were grandiose. They were glorious plans. But once they go, those plans perish with them. And the moment you exit from this body, the only things that will last are the things we did for the Lord. And so a true son is sendable. A true son can be sent. Number two, we said a true son is sendable because he carries the same spirit. Somebody said the same spirit. Yeah, the same spirit. A true son carries the same spirit. A true son is proud that he carries the same spirit as his father. We are told that of that in Titus. Paul was speaking about Titus. He said, when I sent Titus to you, didn't we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not do the same thing? That was Titus, a true son. Number three, we said a true son is a source of encouragement and joy to his father. A true son is what? A source of encouragement and joy to the father. That's what a true son is. He brings joy. He brings encouragement. He helps. He is one that you can rely on. He's one that you can count on. He's a great source of encouragement. May you be a source of encouragement. May you be like Barnabas. A son of consolation. A son of encouragement. In the mighty name of our Lord Jesus. I was telling you last week that there are many discouragements in ministry. Too many of them. Too many of them. The discouragements in ministry are overwhelming. Too many. Too many. Not too many people think of encouraging ministers. And so if you happen to be around a minister, you always have to think about what can I do to encourage this man? What can I do to encourage my pastor? What can I do to encourage this evangelist? What can I do? Because there are many things. If you look at Apostle Paul's life, he was pressed in. I think last two weeks or so we read it. He said, outside were fierce, in all, and there was no one who could understand or relate to the things he was dealing with except one man by the name of Titus, by the name of Timothy. May you be a Timothy. May you be a Titus in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus. We said a true son is like-minded. He has a kindred spirit. Somebody say like-minded. Kindred spirit. When you have someone with a kindred spirit, it's so exciting. One of the things that usually I would do to find out if the people close to me are catching my spirit or we are operating with the same spirit is I like to ask, what do you think about a matter? And most of the time, when I'm asking, I already have a certain thought pattern. I want to see who is thinking like I'm thinking. Yeah, because sometimes without going into details, you bring up a matter and you pass it by Pastor Pay. What do you think about? By the time it comes out, he's saying something exactly what resonates with your spirit. That is a person who is growing with a kindred spirit. I'm not communicating somebody at all. Not somebody who is always seeking to 
come up with something different. When something different will not be an addition, but it will bring argument and contention. Because there are some people like that. They always want to be known as a different. And I think it's a clinical condition. Kindred spirit. And then we said that a true son cares sincerely for the church. He cares sincerely. Somebody say he cares sincerely. That's one of the things we are told in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 to 20. We are told, For I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly to you, that I may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Somebody say sincerely care. Say sincerely care. Yeah. It is not everybody in church who cares about the church. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And Paul talked about it. In fact, Paul made it such a, a big case. He said, for all seek their own. When you read verse 21, he said, for all seek their own. So, <laughs> so, so if you look at a church of 1,000, all seek their own. A church of 500, all seek their own. And it's interesting that that is largely how the church has come to. The church has come to a place where everybody comes to seek for something for themselves. Like she was saying, we hardly think about how this. It's about my comfort. When they come to church, they simply don't even care about anybody. It's about my happiness. When they sing, why didn't the choir sing a song that would make me excited? Why wouldn't the preacher preach a sermon that would make me feel that I'm okay? Why wouldn't they? I mean, that's the kind of era we live in. We always are thinking about what is in it for me. But hardly do people think about what is in it for the Lord. What is in it for Christ? What is a need for my God? What is a need for the one who died and gave up his life for my sake? What is a need? And Paul said, all seek their own, not the things of Jesus Christ. So there are things that pertain to Christ and there are things that pertain to us. And Paul said, all seek their own. Timothy is different. Titus is different. Why? Because he sincerely cares for the church. And so we are going to continue from here tonight. As I look at number six or number one in this session, we are saying a true son pursues the interests of Christ and is set above his own personal interests, ambitions, and goals. Somebody say a true son. Say a true son. Say a true son. Pursues the interests of Christ and the church above his own personal interests, ambitions, or goals. Ask your neighbor, what are your goals? What are your greatest ambitions? What are your greatest interests? Are they in sync with the interests of Christ? That's what scripture tells us. Say, all seek their own, not the things of Christ. If you read the New International Version, he says, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. For everyone looks for their own interests. When you come to church, Look for the things that concerns Christ. Not just the things that matter to you and to you alone. Before he said this of Timothy, everything he talks about from 20 upwards, there were things that he started with from Philippians chapter 2. Let's start from Philippians chapter 2 and let me show you something there. Before he talks about interest in this context, yeah. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1, please. Thank you, Spirit of God. Yeah. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, two, he says, then make my joy complete by being like what? Minded. 
by being like what? Having the same love, being can you see what he's talking about here? Be like-minded. Look at like-minded. You remember when we got to 21? He began to talk. There's no one as like-minded as Timothy. He said, be like-minded. There's a certain mindset Apostle Paul wanted the people to have. And he started by talking about that mindset. And he started by descending gradually into it. Follow closely. Go to verse 3. What is the nature of the mind? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Be like-minded. And when you are like-minded, and it's going to show as a mindset that does things out of no selfish ambition or devoid of vain conceit. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value what? Oh, come on, read that with me. In humility, what? Value others above yourself. That's the spirit of Christ. You have that mindset, value others above yourselves. Do you value others? Do you sincerely care about others? That's what he was talking about. So when Timothy caught that spirit, he said there is no one who is like-minded like Timothy. I need people to have like mind. I need people to have the mindset of Christ. And when that mindset comes, it takes your focus from yourself and it puts it on others. May we adopt the mindset of Christ. May we have a mind that thinks about others. May we have a mind that lays down our lives for others. May we have a mind that is willing to sacrifice for others. Now, you see, because the whole context and the whole foundation of our Christian faith is anchored on this principle of caring and thinking about others. That's all. Jesus came to give us a pattern to follow. And Paul says, I want you to have that same mindset. I want you to have the same attitude. I want you to have the same disposition towards life. Don't value yourselves above others, but value others more than you value yourself. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, that's where the word interest comes in. Not looking to your own word, but each of you to the interest of the others. Now, when we went to 21, what was he talking about? He said, for all seek their own, not the things that are of interest to Christ. He tells you Timothy is different. So, in this text, he tells us there's a certain mindset he wants us to have. And he started talking about what, how that mindset operates. Be like-minded. What, what is the nature of that mindset? How does that mindset operate? And he tells us that mindset is concerned about others more than it's concerned with itself. And that mindset has the interest of others at heart more than its own interest. Then he begins to tell you where that mindset originated from. So verse 5, he tells you, let this mind be in, you, in your relationship with one another. Have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Have the same mindset. In our dealings, in our disposition, we should have the same mindset. What was the nature of that mindset? He begins to tell us in verse Say, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, this is what he said. He said he was not preoccupied with his own interests. Jesus was not occupied with enjoying himself as a holy son, as a begotten son, and just enjoying the glories of heaven. No, that was not what he was preoccupied with. If that had been his preoccupation, there's no way he would have come down to die for you and I. Because what he came to to do on it, he didn't need to do that. He was equal with God in the very essence and nature of God. He was just like God in all of his essence. When he came, he actually had to put aside his deity, his authority and power as God so he could fulfill his mandate. He was not less than God in any way. But 
because he wanted to reach out to us and set an example for us and deliver us. The Bible said he laid aside all that his very nature that makes him go. And then the Bible says he took upon himself. Look at this. He made himself nothing. Are you willing to make yourself nothing if you lead to the salvation of others? Are you willing to put away your pride and yourself, your accomplishment, if that would help others to be saved? Are you willing to lay aside a bit of your comfort so that others can come to the saving knowledge of Christ? Now listen, until we come to a place where we are willing to part with some of our comfort, some of our liberty, some of our conveniences, we are not ready to live the life that God wants us to live. Jesus came to give us an example of a sacrificial life. And look at that. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. Look at this. Being found in appearance as a man. He humbled what? Himself. And became obedient unto death. Even the death on the cross. That's Christ. So he says, let this mind. Let's be like-minded. Later on, he goes to talk to us about two guys who were able to embrace this mindset. He talked about Epiphanitus and he talked about Timothy. Those two guys had the same mindset. That is a mindset that puts the interests of others above their own interests, goals. I like the New Century version, how it renders that. Other people are interested only in their own lives. Can you see that? Interested in their what? In their own lives, not in the work of Jesus Christ. Only interested. The only thing we say we are going for outreach in this neighborhood, they won't show up. We say we are following up on new converts here, they won't show up. When they close service, immediately they have an appointment to catch. They can stay behind and make some time available so that they can follow up on a brother or a sister who is absent in church. They are not interested in anything. If it does not concern them, if it will not bring them money, if it will not improve their status, if it will not help them to achieve their personal goals and visions and dreams in life, they cannot be counted in. And the Bible says all these guys, they seek only their own. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and what? And his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. You see, there are things that you can acquire in life and there are things that God asks to you. All the dreams and the goals you want to pursue, you can get them all and still be miserable. That's the truth of our life. You can get them all. You see, most of the time, the things people don't have and they are worried about, they only get them to increase their level of depression. Yeah. Because you get them only to realize, really? So what was really about this that I was all over? That's why the Bible says, godliness with contentment is what? Godliness with contentment is what? He didn't say it's gain. It's great gain. Great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Because, you see, when you are godly and you are content, there is nothing as great as that. Because there are people, they are not godly, and they have everything, and yet they are not content. Always desiring for more. It's good to always hunger for more. But you see, you can be so hungry for more that you forget to enjoy what you have. And there are many people who live their lives like that. They can't enjoy the little they have. It's not like they don't have anything. They have something they can enjoy and be grateful for, but they are so preoccupied with what they don't have to the extent that they can't even see what they have to appreciate God and to be thankful for it. And sad guys are so miserable. Sometimes they even tend to envy people who have less than what they have. 
because they look at them and they are always beaming with joy. They are excited and they can't explain why these guys are excited. Meanwhile, they have less than half of what they have. Godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. Good. Number two, a true son is proven and tested. Somebody say proven and tested. Oh, say proven and tested. Oh, a true son is tested, is proven and tested. Look at that. Philippians 2.22. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Somebody say prove himself. Prove Turn to your neighbor and say prove yourself. Prove yeah, yeah, you have to prove yourself. You have to prove yourself. You have to be tested. Tested, 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 tested. There are people who come around and they want to be exalted to certain positions overnight. They've not been tested. They've not been proven. And all of a sudden, they just want to rise. It doesn't work like that. You have to be tested. Turn to your neighbor and say be tested. Say, be tested. Yeah, be tested. Be tested. You have to be tested. Testing times can be very revealing. When a person is tested, when a person is tried and proven, then they can be trusted. A person who has not been tested cannot be trusted. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, you have to be tested to be trusted. Look at this. God is bringing his people out of a land of servitude for 430 years and he's moving them to a land of freedom, a land of liberty, a land of abundance. And he tells them this, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 1 to 5, be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. You will live and multiply and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord sought to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord led you through the wilderness for these 40 years. Now look at this, humbling you and testing what? Humbling you and testing to prove your character and to find out whether or not you will obey his commands. Can you imagine that? Humbling you and testing you. Sometimes you think that it is just things are tough. Money is not staying in your hand. God is proving and trying you. Yeah. It's not that he doesn't know you. He knows you. But he wants to reveal you to yourself. (laughs) I'm not communicating yet. Yeah, he knows you from inside out. It is you that he wants to reveal your heart to you. When more money enters your hand, the kind of person you can be. When no money is in your hand, the kind of person you will be. Whether your joy and your satisfaction in him will be tied to money or it will be tied to his presence. And in ministry, you'll be tested. Somebody say, in ministry, you'll be tested. Yeah, in ministry. As a son, you have to be tested. Papa, 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 papa is not genuine until you are tested. Am I communicating here? If after some hard teachings, you are still around papa, papa, you are a son. If after some hard rebukes, you are still around papa, papa, you are a son. Am I communicating here? If after some hard instructions, one man came to Christ and said, I want to follow you. I want to be a son forever. Jesus said, really? Oh, you know the commandment. Go and observe them. Then the guy said, ah, you know, from my mother's womb, I've kept all of them. Then Jesus issued one of those hard instructions. <laughs> he said, go and sell all you have. Not first fruit. All you have. <laughs> Am I communicating here? All you have. I tell you, if I stand here on a Sunday morning, Lord, and I say, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, every member in this church, go sell all you have. And I will see you as genuine Christians. <laughs> I'm telling you, the next Sunday, there will be nobody in the church. 
If anybody will be here, he will be somebody who has nothing except themselves. <laughs> Am I communicating here? Yeah. Hard instruction. Hard instruction. Hard instruction. Have you been offended by your leader before? That's when you are tested. You come to church and you hear one word preaching and everything seems to have been addressing your matter. I mean, I mean, people will say, we are in love. I ask them, have your beloved offended you before? They say, no. We are just, I say, you people are playing. You've not started the thing. One day, Jesus taught and preached. Let me show you that scripture. I think uh, John chapter 6, verse 60 to 8. You see that some simple, simple teachings are cool. Somebody left here because he said, I teach on first fruit. I say, love of money will take you to hell you, if you don't take it. The love of money. The love of money. As if we force you to pay it. I'm not communicating here. Yeah. Everything we teach is left to you and your faith. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And if you put it to work, it helps you. If you don't put it to work, this is not a place where we pull cane and we can lash you. Sometimes I really wish I could. Yeah, yeah honestly. Honestly, because some people, Lord, and Koye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bible says, look at this. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Many of his disciples. And many of his disciples. You know, the disciples were not just Matthew, Mark, Luke. No, no, no. They were more. They were more. They said, this is hard teaching. Hard teaching. The other gentleman I talked to you about, the Bible said he went away very sorrowful because he had great possessions. He didn't have great possessions. I think the translation is inaccurate. The great possessions had him. Yeah, because if he had them, he could easily dispense them, but they had him. So his life and the great possessions were intricately interwoven. You couldn't separate it. Am I communicating here? Yeah. yeah. Before God will make you a father of nations, he have to be sure that Isaac, you are not attached to Isaac. Am I communicating here? Yeah, if he, he proves that you are Isaac, doesn't mean anything to you. Then he can commit the whole nation. That's why Abraham is celebrated in Islam. Abraham is celebrated in Judaism. Three great religions in the world, they all refer to Abraham as a great father of nations. He passed the test. We have to pass the test. And one test you have to pass is the money test. Somebody say the money test. Yeah. That's for Sunday. Money test. <laughs> On hearing it, many of you have this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now look at verse number 61. 61. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Jesus has taught. Many were offended at the teaching. Then, what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Jesus to you could talk. <laughs> you have said some things, people are living and you are still saying it. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I speak unto you, they are full of spirit and they are life. Now look at verse 63. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who will betray him. Verse 65. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless a father has enabled them. 66. Let's go. From this time. Now, don't forget. He has spoken earlier. Some left him. Alright? 
And then he went on and talked and talked and talked. The congregation's size was reducing. I don't know whether he's, he had closed his eyes. Like there are some people, when they are ministering in songs, they close their eyes. Because if you close your eyes, by the time you open your eyes, I think Jesus had, he might have closed his eyes or something. So when the congregation was reducing, he didn't see it. First one, they offended some of them left. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Listen, you will be tested though. When he said, Peter, thou art the rock upon this rock, I'll be the man. It didn't just come. It didn't just come. He was tested. He looked at him and said, listen, you have given a good revelation, but under this circumstance, Satan is entering you. You are talking like devil. Peter said, yes, sir. And he was still following. That's the heart of humility. That's why Peter could tell us, be clothed with humility. Be clothed with humility. Be clothed with it. Because I can tell you in my office, you, you are acting childish and you are offended. Jesus told people they are acting devilish in a gathering and they still were around. Yeah. As for you, you are talking about a matter between your wife and I said, stop the childish behavior. He said, I've insulted you. But if you are acting childish, what should we say? <laughs> no, the Bible says, when I was a child, I taught as a child, I spoke as... You don't know Bible, that's why you're offended. When you are a child, you think like a child, you behave like that. But when you grow up, you must put away childish things. If you have grown up 40, 45, 50, and you have not put it away, and I'm telling you to help you put it away, you're offended. There's no way you can be helped. Jesus looked at him and said, you are devilish. Peter was still around. Praise the Lord. Do you know that when Jesus was arrested and was carried into the judgment hall, nobody was around except Peter. All of them left him. Peter was around. That's why they could look at him and say, this. He, was, he denied the master, but he was around to deny him. The rest were not even around to even say anything. They were not around. They were nowhere to be found. Peter was around, and somebody saw him say, you look like him. But the rest were not around. That's why when Jesus resurrected, he went to look for Peter. I'm not complicating here. From that, many of his disciples then and will not follow him again. And Jesus hit the knee. He worsened the matter. Look at verse 70. You do not want to live too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Can you imagine? Great congregation. 1,005 is gone. Now it's come to 500. Then he continued teaching, teaching. 300. 150 is gone. Now 1, 2, 3. Number 12. Obiene nina 12. When he opens his eyes, left to talk. Instead of finding something nice to tell them, he's asking them, do you also want to go? <laughs> Jesus was a man of audacity. He said, no man can come to me except the Father draws them. That's what he, that was a conviction. That's why he was speaking like that. He knew that those who are for him will stay with him. And he looked at this. Look at verse 8. Peter answered. Somebody say Peter answered. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the word of eternal life. That's the word. Peter said, we are going nowhere. You can tell us we are demons, we are devilish, we are whatever. We are sticking with you. That's loyalty. That's commitment. That's a true son. That's why he could entrust himself into their hands. I'm not communicating here. Tough sons, tough instructions, offenses, rebukes, accusations, persecutions, they all come to review. Sometimes when something happens, it's just revealing what is in your heart. I'm not communicating here. It just reveals what's in your heart. It just reveals what is in your heart. My life, my life.
Pastor Afuakwa has just placed in your hands the key for all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. Share your testimonies with us on 020-422-5790 or email us at embassyoflifechapel at gmail.com. Get interactive with Pastor Afuakwa on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For more information, visit our website at www.embassyoflife.org. Fellowship with us this and every Sunday for our service at our headquarter church from 8.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. for our good news service. And on Wednesdays for our discovery service from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Our church auditorium is located on the top floor of Nanama Ejakuma Plaza opposite the Unity Oil Station, Santata Runabout, Kumasi, Ghana. Alternatively, you can join us online for our services on Embassy of Life Chapel, Facebook or YouTube pages. God richly bless you. Oh, no, no, no.